This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Cards issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Just a reminder that Big Mood, Little Mood with Daniel M. Lavery happens twice a week. Slate Plus members get an additional mini episode or Little Big Mood every Friday. Sign up now to listen at slate.com slash mood. Welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Alo Johnston, a Latino trans man and licensed marriage and family therapist. He's the author of the recently published book, Am I Trans Enough?, and co-host of the Wondermind podcast, Baggage Drop. Alo, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, the answer for me to your question uh, is yes. So I'm glad we have gotten that one out of the way. I am trans enough. No spoilers. And I say in the introduction, the answer is yes. So you don't really have to get that far in the book even. So I'm glad yeah. we all, it's not Great. necessarily what the end of the 200 pages will get you. Yeah. Gl- glad to hear you don't just open with sounds like a skill issue. <laughs> yep. Well, with that out of the way. I am really looking forward to advising some people, some of whom are trans. I, I'd like to say, ooh, I specially prepared these for us, but I just I get a lot of questions from trans people. So sometimes that's also just, it is what it is. But we're going to start, I think, with like the easiest question. And we're, we're going up in difficulty today. So we're going to start easy and end with something slightly more complex, which I think is a, a pretty good way to progress. So I'll take our first letter. Assuming you're doing well. I don't know. I dispensed with the pleasantries. Are you doing well? Are you feeling excited? Do you think that you know how to tell these people how to live? I mean, I certainly agree that they get more complex as we go. I was like, oh, yeah, this seems fine. And then as I read them, I was like, okay, I understand why people need help. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This does sound difficult. Good luck to you. (laughs) Uh, That's often a place where I end up with letters. So please don't feel alone in that. So we'll start easy and see where we go. The subject of our first letter is reinventing the wheel. This is a low-stakes, little-mood question. I met my friend, George, about a half a year ago at a weekly queer event, and I've had such a good time getting to know them. Recently, we've been spending more time together, and I have a silly little blushing kind of crush. I'm not ready to say anything yet, but I think I could be soon. Without a script, I find it hard to say anything, and I'd like something in my back pocket for in case the moment seems right. I know I could probably just ask them on a date, but I'm not sure how to lead into that. I'd rather have a conversation where I can describe where I'm at and get more of a sense of how they feel first. Should I just say, I'm not very good at vibe reading, but I really like you? Or is that too unclear? 
Is it too blunt to say, I don't want to make things awkward because I mainly just like your company, but I do also have a crush on you? We're both autistic, and I prefer being upfront about how I'm feeling, even if it's awkward to express, but I really don't know which approach they might feel more comfortable with. I'm also probably somewhere on the asexual spectrum, and right now I don't want to be having sex. It's taken me a while, but I'm open to the fact that this might change, and I'm also open to the fact that it might not. This is something I'm fairly private about and not something I've shared. I'd rather talk about it if the topic were to come up naturally, but I also don't want to be giving the wrong impression about how I feel or what I'm looking for. I'm aware that I may be overthinking this. Any thoughts? By the way, I use he, him, George uses they, them, and we're both in our mid-20s. Then this is just a, a P.S. I'm not sure if this is folksy, if your parents just made something up wholesale, but if a room is hot, my parents will say, it's sweatery pudding in here. This is based on an old jumper shop in France called Sweatery Pudding. Uh, thank you. That is, I don't know if it's folksy, but it's certainly delightful. And uh, for, for all my American listeners, who I imagine is most listeners, I think jumper is sweater. I think it's English for sweater. And there we have it. Uh, you you know, what what leapt out to you first? Is it the sweatery pudding thing? Is it the sweatery reading pudding a script? certainly stood out in a way that I have no response for, but I appreciate it all the same. Yeah, I mean, I think the things that leapt out to me first are the, is it too blunt? Which I guess my first feeling is saying what you feel is never too blunt. If you are saying truly what you are feeling, there's no such thing as too blunt. And the other phrase that leapt out to me was which approach they might feel more comfortable with, which is truly just a nice idea that we could know such a thing in advance, but you can't know what someone's going to feel comfortable with until you you shoot your shot, so to say. Like, I think someone's going to be comfortable or uncomfortable. They're going to receive it well. They're not going to receive it well. We do everything we can to try and anticipate those things and know the answer in advance and simply isn't possible. And I think... Especially the mention of, you know, is this too blunt? Is my communication style going to be received well? You have to communicate in the way that makes sense to you. And you get to find out if it's the communication style that makes sense to the other person. And you hope for the best. Right. It is, unfortunately, the kind of situation where you can't ask about it without revealing what you want to say. So you can't ask someone, hey, if I had a crush on you, what would be the most easy way for me to say so that wouldn't make you feel put on the spot? Because as soon as you've asked the question, you've now done the thing you were hoping to plan for. I, I will say, I, I didn't read either of those possible scripts and think, gosh, this sounds blunt. If, if only because they both begin with some like throat clearing and apologies, which I don't associate with bluntness at all. Certainly, I agree you could be more blunt. Like there is, <laughs> there is a possibility where you could go even harder. Not saying you necessarily should, but I also didn't read either of those as like too forward, too blunt, too far. Right. I, certainly, you know, I, I don't, I, I think I, both of them sounded fine. Neither of them sounded like really off base. My personal bias is against anything that sounds like an apology straight out of the gate. Uh, obviously, you want to be polite and you don't want to put any undue pressure on a friend that you would like to ask out. I get that. But I think opening with, I'm sorry, or I hope I'm not making things awkward, or I hope this isn't wrong, or I'm sorry I'm not good at this, just because it feels like you should be bringing this to your friend as a, like a neutral to good thing, right? Like, 
This is not that I am demanding you feel the same way, not that I'm going to crowd you, but I think it's nice to have a little crush on somebody. And I also know how to handle myself if you say no. So I I think rather than leading with something self-deprecating, and that's not to say you can never be self-deprecating or acknowledge awkwardness here, just I would say probably something closer to, I really enjoy hanging out. Sometimes I think it'd be fun if we went on a date. If you don't feel the same way, I would really enjoy just continuing to hang out as friends. That that sort of like makes it clear the thing we're doing is good enough for me. I'm not going to suddenly become really upset or distressed if you don't want to go out. But I'd like to potentially add a cherry on top of this Sunday. If you don't want the cherry, we'll go back to the Sunday. Right. And I think the intention of sort of midi- those mitigating statements is a desire to not ruin the friendship, as a lot of people put it. Which I think it's fair to say, you know, exactly what you said. And also, if that's not something you're interested in, I would still love to be friends. Like, I hope this doesn't ruin our friendship. Like, I, you know, value whatever sort of relationship we have, whether that be romantic or not. I think the intention of those statements is the fear that they're going to say no and then things are going to be awkward. But I think you can do that in other ways that are more direct instead being like, you know, yes, I will not crumble if you do not agree to go on a date with me. I still appreciate our connection no matter what form it takes. And I hope we can continue to be friends in whatever form it takes. Yeah. And if it makes you feel more comfortable to include something slightly self-deprecating, I didn't, neither of those were like, I'm awful or of course you won't want to go out with me, but I'll ask anyway. So, you know, if that's something that you kind of feel that you need, both of these seem like totally fine scripts. And again, I think just making your request clear, which is uh, if you think you'd ever like to go on a date, let me know because I think it'd be fun. Um, And that way you're making it clear. I'm not just saying, what do you think about the idea of romance? You're giving them something to kind of like have a clear yes or no to. And you're also just letting it be known like, again, if the answer is no, I also just like being pals. I, I think that's the best anyone can do. There's no way to bring it up with a new friend that totally does away with any possibility of slight awkwardness or a little discomfort, because it's always a little uncomfortable when one person wants something and the other one doesn't. But it's the kind of thing that if you go into it with a light touch, you can usually move past it fairly easily. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of times people, you know, especially when I talk about similar situations with clients, people are like, I don't want to change the dynamic. And the answer is like, you've already changed the dynamic. Having the feeling has changed the dynamic, whether you share it or not, doesn't really keep things as they were. Like, This is going to change the dynamic if you keep it a secret that sort of lurks inside of you or you express it. So I think just acknowledging that like change is happening regardless of what action you take Mm -hmm. and taking charge by being like, okay, how do I want to say this? When do I want to say this? Then you're not sort of just like, it'll play out however it plays out. And I'm sort of left to react and I have no control. Yeah. And I think if you get in the habit of low stakes, asking people out when you relatively early on notice you have a sort of low-key crush is useful because it, it it keeps you from going to the point of, I've had a secret crush on my best friend for four years now, and I feel really tense about saying anything because basically I want to say I'm in love with you. And if they don't feel the exact same way, I don't know how we're going to resume our friendship. And that can be a really difficult position to be in. And not that you can ever perfectly avoid falling into that situation, just that it's a lot easier to ask someone out when you're at silly crush stage. And if they say no, you know, you go look at your wounds a little bit, you feel a little embarrassed, you move on, you resume your friendship. It's a lot easier to come back from uh, and you sort of get a 
the more you do it, which I'm not saying like, go start doing this to every new friend for the next 10 years. But if you just do it a little bit more often when you're kind of interested in someone, you start to realize oh, it's not the end of the world if somebody says no, I don't fear rejection or, or hearing a no in the same way that I used to when I would try to put off asking someone out for as long as possible. Do you have any thoughts about how to or whether to incorporate the question of asexuality into the question of asking George potentially out on a date? Uh, do you feel like this is a conversation to have in advance, to have afterwards, if afterwards, how much longer afterwards? What do you think? All of these are very much dependent on the person. I think always when someone chooses to discuss something like that really depends on what you want to get out of it. I think the same is true of, you know, like disclosing that you're trans or something like that. Some people want people to know. The second one, some people want to go on a few dates and then have that discussion. Some people want there to be some sort of connection and rapport built before they have those discussions. I don't think there's anything wrong with any of them. I think it's just figuring out like what is most important to you and what potentially if that is a hard question to answer, like what would feel really disappointing if it were received in a different way than you had expected? And I think, again, like in that sense of, are you going to tell someone you have a crush on them really early? Or are you going to tell them years down the line? Your disappointment level is drastically altered based on how long you've been holding on to this and if, if someone doesn't have the same feelings for you. So I think... I certainly don't think it needs to all be in the same conversation unless that feels like a huge priority and it feels like nothing else could progress unless you were on the same page about that. But I think especially in a relationship, like this isn't someone you met on Tinder and you you don't know them very well, that conversation might go differently. You might need to know you're on the same page in a different way. This is a friend. Hopefully this person is willing to hear you out and cares about you. And I think that allows this conversation to sort of unfold in different ways. And I think that can happen more slowly over time. If you want to see, is there any interest in going out? And then we can start to talk about that. I think that's totally fine. But I think it's also totally fine if you're like, I need to know immediately. I don't think there's anything objectively true or correct about like when the timing needs to happen. Yeah, my sort of gut instinct on reading the letter was that bit about, I'm fairly private about this. It's not something I've shared um, I'd rather talk about it if it came up naturally, but I also don't want to give the wrong impression. Obviously, there's some sort of couching here. It's like, it might change, but it also might not. I'm probably somewhere on the asexual spectrum. So so again, there's some, I don't want to say like openness exactly, but some sort of like patience with the possibility of change. But it does sound like, at least in terms of like the the medium term, the letter writer says, I don't want to be having sex right now. So that does feel like clear, relevant information. And so my sort of sort of question was, is the letter writer trying to say, I kind of don't want to have to talk to George about this unless it would change their answer to, do you want to go out on a date? And so maybe the fear there is, if it wouldn't matter to George either way, or if it would be something that George would welcome, then I'd be okay discussing it. But if it would move George from a yes, let's go out to a no, we wouldn't be compatible, let's not go out, then I'm kind of more reluctant to share it if it would be a deal breaker. Uh, is that your sense of possibly something that's going on here? Do you think that's maybe a, a slightly too much of a read into what's not being said? No, I certainly think that sounds very 
plausible. And, you know, I think much like the other piece of like, I don't want to say anything that's going to make them uncomfortable. It's just like, we would love to know in advance how our words are going to land and we can't. So if, I mean, I think if that is the case, like, there's no way to know how George will receive this until you say it. And, you know, I think you can say that in a lot of ways. It doesn't have to be an identity conversation early on if you don't want it to be. It could certainly be a, I'm not interested in sex at this moment, which can turn later into a deeper conversation. But again, like I think just having faith in the friendship, that this is a person who cares about you and hopefully wants to hear you out, hopefully wants to understand where you're coming from versus a stranger you meet from a dating app. And I think continuing to bring your anxiety is going to keep taking you to all the places of like, what if they respond this way and this way and this way? And what if they, you know, don't feel comfortable with me saying these things? Anxiety is going to try and solve a million problems that do not exist and all of them won't exist. They, they can't possibly all happen. Our anxiety is really great at taking us down a million terrible paths. But, you know, I think continuing to bring that anxious part of you back to uh, this is a friend who values me as a person and wants to understand where I'm coming from. Regardless of if you land at the same place, this is still someone who hopefully cares about what you think and feel. And at the very least, will be willing to talk this out with you. Yeah, I, I think my sort of last thoughts here are, Letterator, you say you're fairly private about this. And, and in fact, you haven't shared this information with, it sounds like anybody else in your life. And so I would imagine the idea of potentially sharing it with someone in the context of I want to ask them out could feel daunting, could feel particularly vulnerable. What if the first time I share that I think I'm probably asexual and I don't want to have sex right now is in the context of and I kind of like you and then that makes them say I don't want to go out. Then I might feel rejected. I might feel like the first time I tried to share this information, it like came along with disappointment. And so I would just encourage you to consider, are there other people? in your life that you might want to share this with where there's no yes or no question that might change depending on that? Like, is there someone you want to share this with that you would never ask out? And again, that's not to say you have to, just that that might take some of the potential sting out of it. But it does seem like pretty relevant information to me. And my encouragement would be to talk about your asexuality or at least your desire not to have sex before you ask them out, just because I think it's always going to feel better getting that information out there before you ask for a yes or no answer to, do you want to go out? And this is pretty relevant information. Again, just like as a numbers game, most people are looking for sex in romantic dating relationships. And that's pretty important to most people. And so if for you, it is important for it not to be there, that's just information you want to have out there so that you can screen people and so that people can screen you. Because I think it would be more difficult if you went out and then in the back of your mind, you're like, well, now when do I bring up not wanting to have sex? Because now we're on the state and I feel tense about what might happen next. And that's not something that I would want for you. So my advice would be bring up your feelings about sex first. And if there's something in that conversation that sort of settles the question for you, you've maybe just spared yourself a slightly difficult moment with a friend. And if George still seems receptive, open, interested, it's like, awesome, then you can move ahead with potentially asking him out. But I think it would feel better to know you had that squared away before you asked them out rather than like, great, now we're going on a date, but now I don't know when to disclose. I don't want to have sex. Yeah. And I definitely agree with, you know, if one conversation is revealing all of these things that feel stressful and nerve wracking, all at the same time, you are putting yourself in a really difficult position. So 
finding ways that that doesn't have to be a big reveal about your feelings, about your sexuality, all of these conversations that you've potentially never had and never, you know, articulated before. If you can find a way to feel comfortable and, you know, again, like that might be getting comfortable talking to people about asexuality with friends so that you're, you know, this is not the first time you're ever saying it to anyone ever, but allowing us to not be a conversation of a handful of big reveals and you feel like you're going to throw up by the time you get there. Yeah. And to be clear, that's just my suggestion. It would also be fine if you brought them both up at the same time. You know, it might feel a little bit more vulnerable or a little bit more awkward, but it would not be, I think, oh no, that's terrible. And so you should also consider what feels less stressful to you. If the idea of just having it all out in one conversation sounds better than splitting it up into two, do it in one. And if the outcome is you disclose to George, like, I don't want to have sex, but I do want to go out with you if you're interested. And George says, I'm not interested in that. Or like, I would if you were interested in sex, but I'm not since you're not. That's a good outcome. That's not, oh no, the worst thing happened. Uh, and I think I try to stress that a lot, especially when it comes to people who want to ask someone out. Like the goal of dating is to get to know people better and to figure out if you're compatible and to figure out if there are workable compromises in the areas where you aren't necessarily on the same page. And so if you like someone and you're both kind of interested in each other, but you find an early deal breaker, that can feel disappointing, but is actually a good outcome. It's what's supposed to happen. It's it's the dating being what it ought to be. So even if you would feel disappointed, I would urge you not to think of that as like, oh man, if only I hadn't, you know, led with that information, something else might have happened. Like this was inevitable and you just saved yourself some trouble. Yeah. Any any outcome where you get information is a good outcome. Right. And I say that as like, I've absolutely had times where I asked someone out and they said no. And I did not immediately think, ah, good. I have more information. This is like an optimal outcome. I feel great. I felt sad and disappointed or self-conscious and vulnerable or mad at myself for not being perfect. But that's okay too. That's, that's a natural human part of risk and dating and vulnerability and the potential for intimacy. So uh, you are not alone there. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. I'm very glad you're going to be reading this one because it is hot. It is a doozy. The subject is want to be helpful. A member of my college friend group moved away about a year ago and we haven't really been in touch since. Things have seemed pretty scattered and solitary on social media, but he just shared that he's detransitioning. In theory, I'm totally on board and I want him to live in the gender identity that feels right for him now. 
But there's also an emotional piece I can't get over. A vague sense of disappointment, frustration, that when we were in trans spaces together, he was apparently just another cis white gay all along. And this broader fear that my whole concept of gender and the fight against anti-trans legislation has been destabilized. The thought is like, if someone can just leave it all behind after 10 years in bottom surgery, then what are we even fighting for? Could the same happen to me or my other friends? I also can't stop obsessing over this, which feels out of place for someone who's just a casual acquaintance now. It's also not lost on me that much of what I'm saying sounds like a cis person reacting badly to their friend coming out as trans. How can I handle my bizarre outsized reaction without being an asshole? And since no one really talks about this, is the etiquette around detransition the same as the etiquette around transition? Lots of, uh, you know, fruitful questions here. So um, much. Is there anything you want to start with? I mean, the thing that stood out to me is that this person is now an acquaintance, which already means a lot of assumptions are being made. And I don't know <laughs> what the relationship was originally. It sounds like in the friend group, I don't know if this person was close. But at some point, they lost touch. And this is now a person that, you know, sort of see from afar. You sort of know this is happening from afar. But you don't really, it doesn't sound like there's been any conversation. Hey, you know, what does this mean to you? How did this happen? Like, you know, what's going on? Uh, which means inherently, there's just tons of assumptions being made of what does this mean? The sort of fear of like, oh, you just threw it all away. It sounds like that is the emotional reaction that is happening. You were someone who was in the trans community and you threw it all away. And it sounds like the writer of this, this letter is sort of feeling a sense of betrayal and a sense of like, I think also a fear of potentially like letting the wrong person into a, a sacred space or a safe space of we uh, missed someone and they got through. Um, and what does that mean about how safe the rest of us are? And I think the the sort of outsized reaction piece, um, because it is someone who is not a close friend anymore, is sort of an acquaintance. I think it has a lot to do with that vulnerability, that fear, that potential sense of betrayal and all of those things that are just like, oh God, what does this mean for me and my friends and this person and the community at large and like detransition and trans people? And that's just a lot of questions. That's a lot of things. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So my first thought here was, I feel like the letter writer would have mentioned if their friend had been the type of person who detransitions in the service of transphobia, who is like, I was duped transition is, you know, a, a social contagion or a social ill and should be stopped. And I'm now going to like use my story of detransition to hurt trans people. I, I really feel like the letter writer would have included that here. And so that's seemingly just not the case. This is just somebody who is detransitioned. And so given that this is not like uh, one of those handful of cases that's like, and is doing so in order to hurt trans people, I think we can safely just sort of set that aside. So in terms of like the etiquette yeah, absolutely. The same basic principle of like autonomy and letting other people decide their own names and pronouns continues. You know, the letter writer, I can't remember now if I edited this out or not, but sort of mentioned saying he felt weird again. Like it's totally fine if internally you're like, wow, it's weird to, you know, use he for someone that for years and years I didn't use those pronouns for. But, you know, same rules apply. Keep that to yourself. Use it anyway. Do do what your friend has asked. Um my sort of sense here too was there's maybe a missed opportunity to check in again, not like, Hey, I saw you detransition. What's wrong. But just like you say, like we haven't really been in touch since my friend moved away. 
He seemed pretty scattered and alone on social media. All I know since then is that he's detransitioned. Oftentimes, people do that when they're going through a really hard time. And again, just like for whatever it's worth, a lot of people who detransition go on to retransition later. And I, I don't mean that you should like get in touch with your friend and be like, hey, I can't wait for you to retransition later. I just mean like there's there's this weird thread throughout the letter of like, in retrospect now, those years where I knew my friend as a trans person are fraudulent and he was really a cis gay man the whole time. And just like, what kind of ontological nonsense is this? At the time, your friend was living as a trans person, your friend transitioned. The fact that they later detransitioned doesn't retroactively mean they were like someone else in hiding. I just think that's such a weird, like, Gnostic way of thinking about things. Like, your friend transitioned and then detransitioned. Those are two different things. At the time, your friend was a trans person. Do Please do not start like retroactively being like, oh, you were lying to me this whole time. That's so weird. Don't do that. Yeah. And I think none of us, of course, know what the future will hold, if this person will retransition, if this is where this person will stay. As you said, like the number of people who detransition temporarily, often due to family pressure or, you know, work pressure or they're in a terrible city or state to be a trans person is extremely high. And people often retransition when they're out of that setting. And that could be this case. I have no idea. Or this person could be, you know, comfortable with where they're at. I think regardless of where they end up, that I think it's really important to know that whatever the future looks like, this is the journey that they had to take. And I think that's honestly some like internalized transphobia. We criticize cis people for being like, every transition is male to female or female to male. This very linear, you go from one end of the spectrum to the other. But I think as trans people, we also can do the same thing where you're just like, your path is not linear. It confuses me. I don't know what to do with it. And I think this person's path might be very windy and maybe mm -hmm. convoluted and maybe involves some, you know, what you might consider backtracking. But I think these are potentially just the things that they needed to do in order to get to where they were going. I don't know what that looks like. And I don't know if they're happy and I don't know if they're comfortable. And I don't know if that is like a decision that feels empowering or a decision that feels suffocating. Those are only things, as you said, you could find out by checking in with this person. And I think that is a good idea if you especially even consider them an acquaintance. Yeah. To just be like, hey, how's life going? How are you doing? Uh, yeah, I think just in general, if I hear someone say, I have a friend I used to be kind of close with. They moved away. They seem to kind of drop off the map. And I don't know much about what's going on with them. They don't seem like they're doing great. My just sort of like first order piece of business would be send a nice message saying, hey, it's been a while since we talked. I just really wanted to know how you were doing and to say I miss you and I'm sorry that I haven't been in touch more either, you know, rather than like, um, there, there's sort of no uh, emphasis in this letter on like, why didn't I reach out sooner? And again, like I get it. Sometimes if somebody doesn't message you, you worry that they're mad at you so you don't message back and then enough time has passed that it just feels too weird. Um, but it's not, you know, nobody's dead yet. So go ahead and send a message. Again, I wouldn't go into a ton of detail about like, I noticed you're detransitioning, but just like, hey, I wanted to see how you were doing. It's been a while. I miss talking. And just like say something like warm and friendly. That's like generally hope you're doing well. You, you know, a friendly message. I, I don't want to like give a script. Send a friendly message that sounds like you and don't feel like you have to like have a whole fucking conversation about detransitioning. Let, let your friend bring that up if he wants to. And if not, you can just like at some point in the conversation be like, 
thanks for the update. I hope everything's okay. Obviously, like I got your back on terms of using whatever name and pronouns, uh, you know, are correct. But I just really want to separate, like, I totally understand, like, people take other people's lives personally all the time. It happens. It's human. It's understandable. It's also good manners, best practice to keep that shit to yourself. So I'm not going to scold you for feeling weirdly disappointed. I get it. But absolutely keep that shit to yourself. And and by that, I also mean don't be going around texting other friends in the group saying things like, isn't it weird that so-and-so detransitioned? What do you think that's about? Don't fucking do that. You will be tempted to gossip about this with other people and to speculate and to create your own little narrative around your friend. Don't fucking do that. But yeah, just like if somebody can detransition after 10 years in bottom surgery, then what are we even fighting for? Autonomy, my my friend, like the right to change your mind, the right to transition for 10 years and then fucking do something else up to and including after getting bottom surgery. Absolutely. We're not fighting for the right to say like, and I was permanently the soul of this gender the whole time. And like, this is my spirit that God has recognized. Like this is malleable, fungible shit. And people are allowed to change their minds. And also fighting for, you know, if just people want to have bottom surgery, go for it. Like, I don't care. And I think there's a lot that things have changed a lot over the even the past few decades. Like even when I first started learning about trans people in college till now, things have changed drastically. Mm-hmm. And I think there is a lot of grief that can happen seeing how different generations are treated differently. You know, I think a lot of people will see young trans people having access to care or access to, you know, affirming parents or whatever really early. And that can bring up a lot of grief that can bring up a lot of feelings of like, why did I have to, you know, suffer? But I think we point this at the wrong direction. We point this at other trans people instead of acknowledging that like, there's just a lot of feelings that we have. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that in terms of like, I don't, blame, you know, a cis parent of a trans child needing to go to therapy to process their grief, their disappointment. And also, as you said, like, keep that to yourself or keep that to very specific people that are, you know, this gets to be a private conversation that does not need to extend past this place. People need to process their feelings. You might need to process some messy feelings and also figure out which of your feelings are about this person, which it sounds like maybe very few of them. Mm-hmm. And which of your feelings are about, you know, your own grief, your own trauma, your own experiences of feeling like it isn't us versus them, which I feel like I hear a lot of in this letter is just that when we are put in this scenario of being oppressed, then it becomes an us versus them scenario. And this person has like changed teams. And I don't think that's the case. Hopefully, transitioners and trans people, we can all be fighting for the same things. As you said, bodily autonomy, I think, is the goal. We all get to do whatever we need to do. We all get to express ourselves the way we need to express ourselves. This isn't someone betraying your side. This isn't someone who has, you know, gone to the other team. And I think figuring out what you are feeling and what is your own stuff that you may need to process in therapy or on your own. Um, and not spilling that out onto him or, you know, any other detransitioner or anything is really important. Yeah, I think that's exactly the right way to do it. Again, I just really don't want this letter writer to feel reflexively bad for having kind of understandable human reactions, especially given the context of like, oftentimes uh, transphobic people will use the story of someone who has detransitioned as a cudgel to be trans people with. And so I can understand why there would be that fear. But again, if your friend is not doing that, 
it's, I think, just good to say, like, I get where this feeling is coming from. I'm not a bad person for feeling it. And I also want to just, like, turn it over, let it go continually rather than reify it or, or retrench um, or think, like, yes, it actually is important that I'm disappointed or upset here because I have a good reason to be. Um, that would not be the right move. And so I would just say, too, like, again, the goal is not, like, anybody who transitions now has to just as rigidly, like, do that forever Um, that's our goal. And the goal of like cis transphobes is no, everyone stay in the categories you were born in. Like, again, like the thing I think, I hope that we are trying to agitate for is like, uh, self-determination and autonomy and freedom of choice. And so that question of like, could the same happen to me or my other friends? Fucking sure. You could become a hockey fan out of nowhere and it would be totally unexpected. You could divorce a person you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with. You could do any number of things that would have shocked and appalled a younger version of yourself. You could absolutely fundamentally change something that you thought would never change. Of course it could happen to you and your friends. Do I mean that like the vast majority of people who transition or get bottom surgery are just like lackadaisical floating in the air who fucking knows what they're going to want tomorrow? No. But in terms of like might I want something consistently for a long time and then later for any number of reasons do something else? Yeah, that could fucking happen to you and your friends. So none of that is to say, I guarantee if you get bottom surgery, you're going to wake up, you know, 10 years from now and be like, oh no, my clitoris. But, you know, there's there's no way to live your life in a way that forestalls any possibility of regret or change. There's there's just not. And, and so you got to let that one go. And so... Yeah, I think if you can't stop obsessing over this, the best things to do are like one, find like maybe a support group where you can share some of the sort of like bleaker thoughts that you wouldn't want to share inside your social circle. Two, fucking reach out to your friend. I think maybe part of the reason you're obsessing is because there's some guilt going on of like, why haven't I reached out to my friend possibly in crisis? Because you feel guilty. Go reach out to your friend in crisis right now. And then the etiquette, you already know what to do. Do the right thing. That's it. I And just to be clear, if a friend of mine who I had known for years and years uh, detransitioned, I would also be surprised. I'd still be fucking polite and I would do my best to like handle my feelings in an appropriate way. But you're not like totally out of your mind for just feeling like kind of rocked. Again, especially since this is someone you sort of lost touch with. So I, I feel like I'm really trying hard to have it both ways here. Like I want to be like, calm down and behave yourself. And then on the other hand, it's okay not to be calm. I get it. But that's where I'm trying to walk the line. Yeah. I mean, I think it's much like you have to know the appropriate places to process things. Like if your friend had a cancer diagnosis, you would not process your feelings about the cancer diagnosis to them because they got enough shit going on. You would you would find an appropriate location to do so. Your feelings are completely valid, can be very stressful and scary, and it can bring up a lot of feelings. And your friend who is processing that experience does not also need to be processing your feelings about it. And I think that's totally valid. But I think, you know, what you were speaking to of like, it sounds like there's sort of this like existential crisis of like desiring certainty and desiring like, oh, I need to know who I will be for the rest of my life and like how things will play out. And yeah, you know, is this marriage going to last forever? Is this gender identity going to last forever? Is my health going to last forever? We don't have any of that. We're not given that. And we might have to process grief. We might have to process change. We might have to process a whole lot of feelings. But this sounds like it's bringing up that sort of like, oh, life isn't certain. And that is absolutely true. Life isn't certain. Your life isn't certain. Your friends' lives aren't certain. You will have to deal with this feeling in a number of ways throughout life. But this sounds like the feelings are outsized because it's not about 
him specifically detransitioning. It is about how this is bringing up, oh God, like life is just an uncertain mess that we do our best with. Yeah. And, you know, there are even fucking cool, chic, MTFTM, uh, you know, trailblazers out there right now. People spinning new plates of gender you couldn't even fathom. And that's also cool. So, you know, I would just say, like, don't worry about somebody else's bottom surgery. If it, like, brings up abject terror in you, again, like, process that elsewhere. But it's just, like, I yeah, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, people do weird stuff. And I, I use weird in the most generally, like, loving and affirming way imaginable. And I, I'm glad, too, I, I didn't want to stress too much, like, odds are actually probably quite high that your friend's reasons for detransitioning are pretty situational and have to do with like lack of support or even active transphobia and like all the more reason to reach out because like even if it weren't your friend would still deserve like love and care and support but I just also really think that the the missing piece here is I think you feel like your friend has just like blindly renounced transness when I think it's much much likelier that like your friend is kind of drowning right now and um, again, not that that means you should like bombard him with phone calls or like condescend to him or or, or treat him like a victim. Just like it, it's a, a again, unless someone is like I am detransitioning and moving to Turf Island, then you should definitely just be checking in. Like, do you need a casserole? The etiquette is always, do you need a casserole? So I think that's maybe a good place to to pause. And in fact, it's actually a pretty potentially useful segue into talking about some of your own work, uh, which engages uh, with questions of trans enough, which I think we can slightly like warp to here include, like, is this friend now still someone I think of myself as being in community with? Or do I need to like banish them to the realm of cisness? And that's tricky too, because again, like self-determination, autonomy, if somebody says, like if your friend actually says, I'm cis again, that's his call to make. But my guess is that's probably not the case. And there are a lot of people who detransition, sometimes temporarily, sometimes for, for longer periods of time, who still understand themselves as having a lot of things in common with trans people. And so I'm wondering if that's something that has come up in your own work or, or the questions of like what kind of kinship or community is possible between people who are transitioning and people who are detransitioning. Yeah. I mean, I think I, like I was saying, there's so much grief that can make it an us versus them situation. And I think that becomes like an inner community thing when we have this sort of like internalized transphobia of being like, I have to figure out who is trans, who's perfectly trans the way I want them to be perfectly trans and then kick everyone else out because it feels very vulnerable. It feels very scary. It feels potentially like, again, I will let the wrong person like behind these closed doors and then they will like destroy us from within, which I don't think is what's at stake. I think... Gender is changing so much. And I think the future of gender, I think, let me, for me, I will speak for myself. Like, I think probably even a few decades from now, I will look at like what the kids are doing and I'll be like, I do not understand what, <laughs> how people are defining themselves. I don't understand like how people are talking about gender. And to me, that seems like a positive thing. That feels like this is where it should go. And I think there's a lot of people that like, you know, the trans experience right now, unfortunately, does involve a lot of trauma. And I think it's really easy to conflate those things of the trans experience is trauma. The trans experience is absolutely not trauma. 
but we're so clouded in that experience that it's really hard to see what could be possible without it. So I think as we were talking about, like, if we truly, truly believe what we're saying about people having bodily autonomy and people having the agency over their own lives and the ability to make decisions for themselves and live lives that we don't understand and maybe look a little weird to us, like, what will that turn into? I think that's a really important thing to sit with. And I think a lot of people get caught up in those philosophical questions. I will say a lot of my book is sort of being like, are you an overthinker? Maybe stop thinking. Because I think we get caught up in these things that are like, I have to philosophically figure out gender before I can transition, which I think gets in people's ways a lot of times. And those can be separate things. I think gender is something the more I talk about, the less I understand. But that doesn't feel threatening the way that Mm -hmm. it did when I was pre-transition. And I was like, I have to understand gender as a concept before I can figure out how I am going to proceed with my own gender if I'm going to go on testosterone, if I'm going to have top surgery, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I'm curious. Is this a question that you associate? Because I know there's not a, a question mark in the title, but I think it's you know an implied question, certainly. Um, is this one that you've associated with like a particular moment in terms of someone's relationship to transition? Do you understand this as a question that people might ask throughout the course of a lifetime or usually in advance of a decision they're sort of still weighing? Is this seem to you like a closeted question? Does it seem to you like a community question? Does it, it like, do you notice, does it come from like particular elements of the community or does it seem pretty universal? It certainly was a question for me for a very long time in that like, I I think my experience was like a lot of people's. I watched a million YouTube videos of trans people trying to be like, should I go on hormones? Should I not? Is this the right decision? Is this the wrong decision? And I would encounter these things. You know, I think uh, I was in like the Tumblr generation where I was reading a lot of trans people's posts. And I remember in particular, this one trans guy wrote about how he had wanted a penis since he was a child, had wanted to pee standing up since he was a child. And anyone who didn't feel that way was not a real trans person. And I took it seriously because I, someone said something confidently. What else am I going to do? I was like, oh, okay, that sounds right. This person sounds very confident. And I think things like that made me feel, okay, you know, I have these feelings of like, oh, I'd like a deeper voice and things like that. But I don't have that feeling. I don't have this genital dysphoria. I don't have these overwhelming feelings that other people are expressing the way that they're expressing them. And that led to a lot of, I'm not trans enough. I must have some different experience. I must be having a different experience than these people. And maybe I'm just faking it. Uh, Maybe I'm appropriating some sort of experience. Maybe this is internalized misogyny. And as in my work as a therapist, I feel like tons of people I have worked with have had really similar journeys and they've either articulated it in the same way of, am I trans enough? Or have just had those sort of creeping insecurities, which I think are those like internalized transphobia things that we then spill out onto other members of the community. And I think it's not necessarily something that affects you for the rest of your life. I I think hopefully that voice gets quieter and quieter and quieter as you have more of a certainty in your own experience, in your own comfort. But I think it can be something that's like this tiny, tiny little critical voice that is frequently exacerbated by the societal narrative. 
that the way people talk about transition, the way people talk about that this is irreversible, this is the most drastic thing you could ever do to your body, this is something you need to be absolutely sure of, this is essentially only okay if you have no other options, that we start to believe that this is something that can't be done joyfully, can't be done casually, can't be done in a way that isn't like life or death. I am on the brink of ending things. So transition is my only option, which I think is essentially it creates this narrative that transition has to be traumatic and it becomes traumatic because people are waiting so long. People are like, well, I have to try absolutely everything else to see if it's something else before I consider starting hormones. Instead of being like, I could start hormones and see if it helps early on without having to be like, I've been suffering for 10 years. Now I'm allowed to try something that you know maybe could help me. So I think the way, yeah, just the way we talk about things exacerbates the problem. Yeah, and I think uh, as you were sort of gesturing towards a little earlier, it, it's often seemingly true that there are a number of other more specific questions under the umbrella of am I trans enough, which usually have more to do, is there something that I want to do that I am not currently doing? And if so, what are my reasons for not doing it that can often be easier or or um, have a clearer answer than sort of a general question of am I blank enough? Um, which always, you know, is is itself an incomplete question. Enough for what? Enough for whom? Like, enough is not itself a question. And there's a desire to have a label because it feels like it gives you a pathway. But I think often the label does get in the way where someone's like, am I a trans man? If I'm a trans man, then I have to do the trans man things. And I'm like, how about you start with what you do know, which could be as simple as I know I want to cut my hair. Great. Start there. And like, see where each desire takes you rather than I need to find a label and then find the map, the roadmap for that label and travel down it as far as it will take me. Like, allow your desires to be that roadmap. And the label usually comes pretty easily when you do that, when you stop thinking about it and you just allow yourself to follow like what you want and need. And so is this something that also comes up a lot on um, on your show? Is this, I assume baggage drop has something to do with the concept of emotional baggage rather than, I don't know, maybe it's just a discussion of like luggage carousels at airports. I don't want to put words in your mouth. That would be certainly a very uh, interesting side gig. I should, yeah, propose it. Uh, yeah, I mean, baggage drop was very much just uh, sort of how to create new new habits and uh, make changes in your life in a way that feels accessible and simple in a sort of short form. Um, and I think it's a very practical thing, which is really interesting because I think that can be all sorts of things that can be specific to how do I create habits that are the lifestyle that I want to live? Or it can truly be like, how do I drink more water? Uh, which I guess could be the lifestyle that you want to live, a person mm -hmm. who drinks more water. Um, but yeah, I think that sort of just a practical attempt at creating new habits, making changes that feel healthy and feel like they are getting you closer. And like, what's getting in the way of those? Like, what's preventing you from creating a habit that sticks? For whatever it's worth, listeners, um, there's a great video game from, I want to say, 1982 called Lost Luggage from the Atari. Uh, and I think you can play it online now. There's like some site that has it up for free, but it's, you know, it's, you, you run after your lost luggage. I do think one of the things that I love about the luggage carousel 
It is a remarkably unchanged technology. Like so much about flying has changed drastically in the last 50 years, especially in the last 25 years. But no one's innovating on the luggage carousel. It's exactly what it was in the 90s. And I bet it looks a lot like how it did in the 60s and 70s too. Because I think conveyor belt technology is pretty old too. So I wonder when the last innovation was in the luggage carousel field. And if anyone listening to the show knows... Please write in and let us know. It's not broke. Don't fix it. Just, you know, leave people's luggage in Italy while they're in California. It's fine. It's not a big deal. Yeah, it's like it 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 never works any better than it has to. And I think that's often a characteristic of something that's not going to be improved upon, which is like, it's not great, but uh, it works enough. And uh, that's slightly far afield for, for our purposes, but it's a nice thing to meditate on. There should be a tie-in between the Baggage Drop podcast and this video game. And yeah. 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 Well, uh, I'll see if the folks at Atari can get in touch. (laughs) And on that note, I think we are at a great spot to start to wrap up for the day. Um, I have a really quick letter from a a listener uh, about a recent letter that I'd like to read. And then I will release you as well as all of the rest of our listeners to go about the rest of your day. This is from someone who listened to the Vacation Friends episode of uh, May 16th. I went through an acrimonious divorce myself, and many of our joint friends don't know how bad it was, nor the underlying issues that caused it. Many have remained friends with both me and my ex, although I moved away for a year to get some space and pursue a career opportunity that my ex notably did not support. I'm moving back home soon, and it was really helpful to hear your advice about talking to friends and saying explicitly, please don't invite me to places that you know my ex will be, as I have been dreading the chance that this will occur. Thank you for your kindness and the advice giving and talking about this specific situation. It was really helpful for me. So see, again, like it it doesn't always have to be, I've got to move or get away from someone or I'll die and explode. But sometimes it's really important to just get space from someone, not because they are a monster who deserves to be like drummed out of the planet, um, but just because it's not really possible for you to be in community with everybody. And I think that's a good place to end for the day. So, Alo, thank you again so, so much. And I hope you always find your luggage at every airport. Thank you. You as well. Thanks for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice or conversations with our guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $15 for your first three months. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show, maybe you need a little advice, maybe you need some big advice, head to slate.com slash mood to find our big mood, little mood listener question form or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. And for whatever it's worth, just to argue from the other side, um, I think he should be kicked out of the community. I think it's great to kick people out of community. I don't think it should be done constantly or lightly or forever and for all time. But 
man, if you don't have any rules for kicking people out of community, that's going to get real dangerous real fast. I think it would actually be totally appropriate to say, you know what, somebody who uses our community to abuse a teenager, get out of here. Again, that's not the same as kicking him off of the planet or prohibiting him from holding a job and living and supporting himself or banning him from any spiritual enrichment or community on the face of the earth. It's literally just, you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.